Hello, Kara. Hello. Ah, this is it. This is way better. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Outstanding. My apologies, my dear. I am so sorry. I I don't know what happened. Did you change something? Uh, nope. You didn't? All right. I, I didn't either. So I have no idea. All I did was shut everything down. Well, I tell you, let's go ahead. Are you ready to do this again? Yep. Outstanding. All righty. So, hey, everybody, it's Christy Lynn Hanchi and AWOL Zebra. And I'm not going to lie to you, we had technical difficulties. Kara Lash is with us today, and she is going to share her story. We did an interview, and it didn't come through. So it was just me asking questions, and I heard her answers, but nobody else could. But that's okay. I apologize for wasting her time, but I'm excited because I get to speak with her a little bit longer and maybe we can add something that we missed before. Now, Kara, I just want to bring you on because you answered one of my uh, uh, posts on Facebook where I said, if you have a story to share, I'd like for you to share it on AWOL Zebra. So what made you want to share your story? Well, I said, like, I just want other people to know that they're not alone, because like I said it was really hard when I was trying to find a diagnosis. And, uh, and now that I do have a diagnosis, I think it's important to advocate. And how old were you? Because we did discuss this before that you discovered later in life. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, I was 24 because I was diagnosed in like April of 2020. And when did your symptoms start? Uh, they started just before I turned 19. Wow. What kind of symptoms did you have that made you seek out a doctor? Uh, well, I had tremors and uh, yeah, like it started out with tremors. With, with tremors. And then at that young age, you're going to a doctor. What is he saying? What is his diagnosis? Uh, well, I said the, the first neurologist that I went to, he just said that it was all in my head, that I didn't know how to manage stress, that I needed to go to counseling. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, that's kind of insulting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Definitely. Yeah. How did your family feel? Uh, like I said, they, you know, I said they were supporting me 100%. And like I said, they had already known that that was a possibility because my aunt actually went through the same things before she got diagnosed with Parkinson's. So they're thinking at 19, your family at least is thinking, oh my goodness, my child could have Parkinson's. Yeah, that's what they were thinking at first. And that's, that's gut-wrenching in itself when you're a parent and then you're thinking your child has this what was going through your mind? You're seeing your aunt go through it. What was going through your mind? Well, I didn't really know what to think because I, you know, I said like, I'm not a person who likes to see doctors. And so at first I was just like, well, I don't know if this is serious or not. Um, but I said, we'll just, you know, if it is Parkinson's, I guess we'll deal with it. And if it's something else, you know. And what made you, because you didn't get diagnosed till you were 24, so you're 19. What transpired from 19 to 24 to make you like say, I, I need to find out more or, or did it take you that long? Were you trying for that many years before you could well, get Well, because I said, 
things were just getting like worse, like the tremors and involuntary movements just got more and more active. And it was becoming like embarrassing, like when I was out in public or when I was at work and I said I was trying to hide it, but there was no way to hide it. And so I wanted like because at first it when it was just the tremors and involuntary movements, I just wanted it to stop. And then when I started having pain all the time, I was like, okay, something just isn't right. And you you didn't have anything that because I know when you go to the doctors, I mean, they always are like, well, were you in an auto accident? Did you fall? I mean, did you have anything that would have led you to believe that your pain was through an incident that you had caused on yourself? No, not at all. Okay. So you were sitting there, you're having the tremors, your body's doing involuntary movements, and now you start getting pain. Do you just start clocking appointments with neurologist after neurologist? How is that going? Uh, yeah, that's basically how it went because I'd go back to my primary and I'd be like, well, they said this, but I really don't think that's it. And she goes, I think, you, you know, you're right. Let's keep just, let's keep just refer. We'll try a different neurologist and then we'll try a different one. And at what point did someone take you seriously and tell it you we're going to get down? It wasn't until I saw an internist and then when the internist, you know, even though they couldn't, you know, I mean, they ran the minimal test that they could and they were like, well, we may not know what this is, but we'll do everything we can to try to help you find out. So the internist, now there's no blood test for this illness. So where, where did the internist send you? What did did they start doing? Was it like endless MRIs? What was it? Well, because at first he wanted to do an MRI. Well, actually not MRI, I had an MRI prior, but. He, he wanted to do a CT scan at first because my hormone levels were way off. And so he was worried that I had a tumor because that's usually what those markers like for those hormones mean. And so I went for the CT scan and they didn't find anything on the CT scan. And I had some ultrasounds and things like that. And they still didn't find anything. Well, then he goes, well, we're still going to like continue looking. We're going to send you to other specialists. And they sent me to a rheumatologist. And what do the rheumatologist, because I, I know my rheumatologist down here, they're like, we don't treat it. So they don't, they don't even bother seeing us in Virginia. Where, how, what was it like for you when you saw a rheumatologist? Well, when I went to the rheumatologist, like I said she basically took one after listening to all my story of what I'd been going through for the you know last few years and the symptoms that I'd had. She just took like all my joints and my arms and my fingers and my toes and everything, and she just started moving them around in different ways. And she goes, "I know exactly what this is." And what did she diagnose you with? She said you have hypermobility. But that's just like up in the air, hypermobility. Like what, what, I mean, did she say, okay, you've got hypermobility. This is what we'll do to fix it. Or you have hypermobility, you know, figure it out. I mean, what was it? Well, she just, I, I just told her, I said, I, cause I had never heard that word. I said, well, I don't know what that means. And she just started explaining and she started showing me what, what was different from my joints to her joints. And she goes, well, at first she goes, well, you're going to look up hypermobility, like, you know, benign hypermobility syndrome, and you're going to see what that says. But she said there's a lot of different versions and variations of it. So she goes, whichever one of those versions matches the symptoms you're having, that's going to be the diagnosis. And then she, because she pretty much knew that I had at least one of them, 
she was like, well, this is your life now. She goes, we can't fix it. There's no cure. There's no treatment. She said, you're going to be disabled the rest of your life. You're going to be in pain the rest of your life. She goes, you're going to have to learn how to start putting your joints back in because, you know, there's no point in seeking help because if you do get help, they'll just like put it back in, but it's going to come out 20 more times. So, Oh my God. Okay. Bert, okay. That, okay. I, I'm glad we're getting a chance to chat again because I'm sorry, my dear. That sounds absolutely horrible to have. So I, I didn't know she explained it to you like that. I mean, I understood. Okay. Well, you're going to have to look these things up for yourself, which to me is kind of, you know, pushing it off, you know, on you having to determine your own diagnosis, but to just sit there and tell you that it's never going to get better. This is what it is. How did that make you feel? I mean, I was like both shocked and relieved because I was relieved for a diagnosis to finally know I'm not crazy. It's not stress. I'm not doing it to myself. But at the same time, it's like, how can they tell me that I'm going to be in pain the rest of my life? Because I had the mindset that once I got a diagnosis, I was going to feel better. Okay. I I totally understand and can relate uh, to where you're coming through with with that because I, I did. I felt like a sense of relief, but then to find out that, okay, uh, we figured it out. Now just go on your way and prepare for it to get worse. That just wasn't something I was ready to accept. And I was 51. You at 24, I can't imagine. You have your whole life ahead of you. And you hear this news. You, what, what went through your head? What did you start? Did you, did you seek out any treatments? Did you, did you just say, okay, well, this is the way it's going to be. And I'm just going to wait until I need a wheelchair kind of attitude. What did you do? Well, at first I was in denial because I was like, you know, when she told me, well, your cane's not going to work for you forever. You're going to need some different mobility aids. I just thought, well, how does she know that? Like, you know, everybody's different. How can she say that it's not going to work forever? It wasn't until it started coming true that I started accepting it. That. It, it does. I mean, I still want to cry when you tell me this story because I can't believe if someone was telling my child this, I would have been furious because it just seems so callous. It just seems like this is your life. You might as well be prepared for it. I, I appreciate the rip the bandaid off kind of approach. But when you're talking about having to change your entire lifestyle, there needs to be a little bit more... Um, sincerity maybe I guess yeah I mean and that's I mean you just had to feel like you said really but you had to feel kind of at a loss didn't you I did because I said like I had to like because I was alone at that appointment you know I got into the point of because originally my mom used to come with me to all my appointments but I'd gone to so many that I decided I was ready to just go to them on my own and so then I'd probably gotten the diagnosis and uh, I had to just go back to, you know, I had to go back to work. And then after I got home from work, I had to explain to my parents what I had been told. Oh, my gosh. As a, <clears throat> oh, <laughs> that just, it makes my skin boil just to think about it. As a mother, knowing, I'm, I'm sure your mother felt horrible that you went to that, uh, that one appointment you went to alone and you get that horrific news. How did your parents take, because there's a lot of individuals that, um, are joining the groups that I admin that um, that are parents that are noticing it in their children, you know, at the age of eight and nine, and they're trying mm-hmm. to learn. How did it affect your mother? What, how did that happen? Because you were so young. Well, my mom, she was 
she was just in shock. She didn't know really how to react. She didn't really want to, like, you know, believe that, it, you know, because she, when I told her, like, oh, she said that eventually I'm going to need some different mobility aids, she got really upset. And she's like, what, a wheelchair? And I'm like, well, I, obviously not yet, but I don't know for sure if it'll come to that. But so I guess in a sense, each family member has a way of, of dealing with it. I mean, there's, there's like, a, there, I'm sure there's like a denial. I mean, I guess there's like a period of mourning, a period of like mourning in a sense that I'm sure your mother was so happy that you got a diagnosis, but then she probably didn't like the diagnosis Yeah. and, and the outcome. So you don't sound like a quitter to me. You sound like somebody that is a go-getter. So I'm sure this, although you were relieved, it is somewhat gut-wrenching what was your job at the time? I was an early learning teacher at the time. And that's a lot of physical work. Yeah. So how in the world were you doing that on top of getting this diagnosis? Well, at the, the baseline that I was at at the time wasn't as bad as it was going to be in the future because I was still able to do every, every aspect of my job. The only like, somewhat struggles that I would have was when we were out on the playground if uh, if you saw something happening you know your reaction is to run after it but I would go to take a step and my leg was dislocating and so that was you know that was when I knew that things were changing oh okay and you're talking about like your leg dislocating so were you were you wearing braces and things like that I was wearing braces on both legs at the time, but it really wasn't helping because it wasn't just the knee dislocating. It was like other parts of the leg. And so you were kind of not as much help as you could have been like on the playgrounds, because if you needed to, it's hard to go chase after a little kid if you're on crutches or a cane or a walker or anything like that. So did you, start feeling because I'm sure like there's nap time you have to probably pull out cots or little things like mm -hmm. that uh, was it just physically just draining to you it, it, it you was but it wasn't until I switched daycares that I really knew that things were taking a turn for the worse and what did that mean for you time to well, find I, said, I just knew that I couldn't do the job anymore so not giving up I mean you could you have sought out disability or you just decided to keep working and find a new job? I just decided to find a new job because the trying to get disability, you know, there's just so many people don't realize how inaccessible getting disability actually is. Well, especially for uh, your age. Yeah, that too. As, as well. I mean, your age makes it even harder, but that's a fight that's exhausting in itself. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I mean, getting a diagnosis is a fight for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. the fact that you have the diagnosis, I commend you for like being able to say, okay, I, I can't do this job anymore. I'm going to, uh, gonna forge through and, and, and do a new, a new, go to a new direction. So you get a new job and what is your new job? Uh, so now I'm a desk receptionist for a photography studio. And, then, and you like taking pictures too, don't you? I do. Could you make that your career? Or is that I did. Like... 
I did actually try that at one point after I worked at the first daycare I was at, but it just wasn't sustainable. You know, the seasons change. I don't have an indoor studio. There's just too many variables. Gotcha. And then if it you know, requires travel or if you're going to do a beach wedding or something, you don't know what you're going to feel like that day. So I, yeah. I completely understand. So you now, the fact, now you're working a full-time job, correct? Yeah. So you're working Monday through Friday, nine to five. Do you have a life outside of your job? I, I have a lot more of a life than I did when I was in daycare because I'm not as tired and fatigued as I used to be. And, and then your employer is much more, I mean, your employer understands. And if you're having a bad day, are, are you able to work through the flares? I do. I mean, like, I know most people wouldn't, but I, you know, I said, because, you know, like, I want to stay independent and I want to be able to provide for myself. So I just continue to get up and go to work. And what kind, I guess it's depending on the day, but what are your main flares like? Like, what is it you're working through? Well, it varies, you know, for each flare, but sometimes the flare is like that I can't walk without holding on to my crutches. You know, I'm just looking so much, or it could be like seizure activity, heart arrhythmia. What now you have HSD and I have yeah. HEDS. And I had mentioned before that, you know, plenty of people post about it. They, they think that HSD isn't as severe as HEDS, but they equally to me are both just as debilitating would you agree i do agree because i've heard two different you know opinions i've heard some people say it's not as severe and then i've heard others say like they can be the same in severity they just have different le- like you know labels so there's i feel like there's a misconception Mo- most definitely now do you feel that <coughs> as the, the, the do you feel as if you're getting more symptoms and more ailments do you feel it's necessary to go out searching for the HEDS diagnosis or do you feel that everything is sufficient with the HSD I don't think I don't feel like it's worth it to search out a new diagnosis because nothing changes you know there's still no treatment there's still no cure it's more about with each problem that you're dealing with maybe you're at the doctor dealing with a specific issue you just have to explain to the doctor, you know, like if, if, you know, and that's if they even know about the condition, you might be explaining the whole condition, but if there's someone that does know about it, you're just saying, Hey, I have HSD, but I also have the same symptoms as, you know, HEDS or EDS. And we all can have these same struggles. And this is what we have to look at. And now do you, I, my philosophy is I always, I just treat the symptoms because not every thing that I have going on with my body is HEDS. It usually is, but is that how have you kind of have, have gone about it? Do you just wait and, and treat the symptom as it comes up kind of thing or? Yeah, that's basically, you know, I said like how I go about, cause I said like there are a couple of things, you know, that I have that aren't, you know, I don't think are necessarily related, but you know, could be. So you just treat everything as it comes basically, you know, you, you wait, and if you have one problem, you deal with it, and then you wait for the next problem, and you deal with it. See, now, I, I like your attitude, because you don't sound like a quitter. You sound like you're a go-getter, and I think that's very important, and you have not been defeated 
by this diagnosis. If anything, it seems like when the doctor gave you this diagnosis, you were probably even you know, questioning, ah, it's not going to get any worse. This is, you know, until it started getting worse. So how did your mental state, how did it change when you went from needing a, a walking stick? How did it go when, when you were like, okay, this isn't serving me any purpose anymore. I have to make the next step and go to the next mobility aid. What did that do to you mentally? It basically like helped me like more over accept the condition because like I said like it, there was no point, in, you know, because even though I was denying it at first, there was no point in denying it anymore. And it wasn't going to help me in the long run by denying it. It was only going to help me by accepting it and starting to advocate. I love your attitude. I love your attitude. Do you think that you would ever want to be a patient advocate? Uh, you know, none of us know what the future holds. So I guess we'll just have to see. I, I think you have a great mindset for it. I mean, and that's something that you can do virtually as well. But I, I do. I, I've spoken to a lot of people and you have such a great attitude. I I mean, I, I hope you know that I, you really do have such a great attitude about how you're handling this. And I hope this is helpful for the listeners out there that are in your age group, because, you know, for me at 51, okay, my body stopped and I was bummed out because I had a son when, you know, my symptoms started getting worse and I started missing time with my son. I don't know what I would have done or how my attitude would have been had this started for me at the age of 19 and then to be diagnosed at 24. What, mm -hmm. what do you have to say to those? Because there are individuals that are joining the groups every day that are, they're getting younger and younger and they don't have the support system at home. What would you tell them? Well, I said, like, I would just tell them like, you know, don't, you know, don't stop speaking up for yourself. I said, you're truly the only one who can advocate for yourself. And if you don't, who will? And your family is very supportive, correct? They are. Mm -hmm. And how, how does it affect you? Do you, do you feel like having the diagnosis and knowing what's happening? Do you feel that there are any things that you can't set your mind to accomplish? I mean, obviously there are like some, you know, because we are disabled, we, you know, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but we do have, you know, limitations. So obviously right. there are some things that we can put our mind to, but we necessarily, because like I said with my job, I couldn't keep being a teacher, you know, but there are just some things that we can choose not to give up on, or we can choose, you know, because some people, you know, they, they, they feel like they're better off not working. If that's what works for them, that's great. You know, and then there are other people that say, well, I'm going to work three days or I'm going to do this. You basically have to do whatever works for you. You don't have to do the same situation as somebody else. How much of this illness is for you all mind over matter? Like, you know, how, how do you look at this it's like it's obvious like I know I'm not going to get up and go hiking with my friends that's just not going to happen but there are things that I'm like I am going to do this come hell or high water it is going to happen do you have things that you are just 
you're going to get done something that you want to achieve that's not going to hold you back this diagnosis? I mean, for me, it does. Because like, for example, my biggest thing is being independent and being able to live on my own. And so the only way to do that is to continue to get up and go to work and work through my flares and work through the pain and the fatigue. Do you, because I know I have gone and done something and then I pay for it the next day. And I hear a lot of stories about that, how people will be like, well, I went shopping with my family and then they're down for a couple of days. You're up every single day. Do you eventually just crash at the end of the week or have you learned to maintain? It depends on the week. It really changes week by week. Because for me, it, it basically how I function the next day is based on how well I sleep that night. Because if I don't get enough sleep, I have a lot harder time functioning. I have a lot harder time with pain that basically I had to have enough sleep and a good quality sleep to recover from the day before. That's what I have found. Okay. So this, so sleep is majorly important for you. And mm-hmm. we now, in, in our last, in our practice interview, that's what we'll call it. In our practice interview, I believe you did mention that when you wake up, you're putting yours, what happens for you when you go to start your day? Like you're putting yourself back together, right? Yeah, so I always tell people that I have to put myself back together like a Lego set that I'll often wake up with different dislocations, like it could be my fingers or maybe it's my arm. And then when I get up, my legs are often locked up, so I have to try to get them to, you know, unlock and go into the bending position so that way, you know, they can bend and move and things like that. Oh, my God. And are you, like, kicking through the night? Do you Do you have a rough sleep? Do you even notice this? I mean, I definitely move around a lot at night, but I don't notice it at all. It's like, I mean, the only time I do notice is if I like wake up in a pretzel position. (laughs) Okay. Now, how, because this is something for individuals that aren't used to this. Like I was, I was in bed one day and my husband heard the alarm and it startled him and he woke up and kicked me in my hip by mistake but I let out a scream and that was the alarm for my son, my scream. (laughs) He had dislocated my hip Mm -hmm. and he was freaking out. And I was like, it's okay. You just gotta give me a minute. I gotta catch my breath and I'll get it back in. How is it for you putting your body back together? It it just really depends on each one because there are some times that I wake up because I went to turn over in bed and my hip dislocated or my leg dislocated. And those are really rough. Like those do not feel good. It's hard to move when they're dislocated, extremely painful. So like there was one time I was sleeping over at my cousin's house and I told my aunt, I said, if you hear me like yell in the night, I said, don't worry about it. I just dislocated my hip and I'm trying to work. I'm I'm working on that, but it hurts. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not, I mean, bless your heart. I just, with each individual that I, I speak with, it's, it, it's, this is not a conversation that I can have with the other mothers when I'm picking up my son at school. So it's exactly. so nice to be able to chat with someone that I can be like, well, yeah, when I was putting my shoulder back into place and, oh, if you hear something, it's just me popping my hip back in. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll have a dislocation and it pops and cracks so loudly that it gets everybody's attention in the room and their jaws just drop open because they're like, 
Because they're thinking that had to that had to really hurt. And they're just looking at me like, oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, it's all it's all good, guys. It's all good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy we got to do this redo because I, I tell you, I, I enjoy laughter. And I thank you for making me laugh because that's a it's a great attitude. You, you're right. I have had people look at me um we went over a speed bump in the vehicle one time and everybody just bumped their head. And my husband looked at me and I went, I can't breathe. He's like, what? I said, I think I popped a rib out and I popped my rib, my shoulder and my pelvis out. And it was taking my breath away. And it was all I could do. Everybody's freaking out. And I'm like, it's okay. I just need to get to a spot and lie down flat. But it's funny how the individuals around us react like, it's got to be the worst possible thing, but isn't it almost relief when you get it back in? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like a hurt so good kind of thing. But yeah, you, know, you know, this is what I find so odd is that it takes something physical to happen to us before. And I'm not saying your family or I'm not, I'm just generalizing this. Yeah. It takes something physical like that to happen for somebody to realize the invisible illness we have is real yep and that's i mean that's horrific i mean how i mean it's not like we walk around and i've got hsd on my shirt i mean you know something like well, that well i actually did make yeah. a custom t-shirt no, that says that it says i'm a hypermobility warrior and then on the back it says ask me about my story my gosh we are like well we're we're, we're gonna have a wall zebra t-shirts coming so i'm excited about that because you do i want people to understand that there's an illness out there that they don't know about and i commend you for doing that i think that's absolutely awesome do you still wear it i i wear it as much as i can i actually have it in my suitcase and i'll be wearing it sometime this week would you please post a picture i would love to see that yeah, I'll I'll try to find I do have a picture of it already and I'll try to find it and send it to you. Definitely do that because if you don't mind, I'd like to um uh post in the groups that we did this interview and I, th that that picture, I can see it in my face. I can see it right now. That would be a great picture to have to go with this story if you don't mind. Would you be Yeah, happy? that's great. Outstanding. Okay, I'm excited. I so I love this. So it's it's like you are grabbing this illness by the horns and you're riding it you know not into defeat it's like you're taking charge exactly and it's 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 a little different for me because i know a lot of people say well the disabled are not your inspiration the disabled are not free and i understand that i understand if they don't want to be an inspiration everybody has their own preferences but i do want to be an inspiration and i don't find that to be a bad thing no not at all and like I said, your attitude, when, when you contacted me, when I put that post out there, you were like one of the first. And I said, I've got to get to Kara first because you responded so quickly. And I was excited that you wanted to share your story because so many people, and now this is not a bad thing because it does take a while to accept it. But so many people allow themselves to just have that label and then they don't see beyond that mm -hmm. and you do i mean you see the label you embrace the label 
and you're showing people, you know, what you can do with this label. So I think, I mean, I think that's pretty daggone awesome for such a young age. I admire that. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> really do. Yeah. So yes, I can't wait. Okay, I'm writing that down. I, I want the shirt, t-shirt so I can post because that's inspirational to me. Now, you've gone from, I, I saw one of your posts uh, and you had just gotten a new wheelchair. And when we started the conversation, we were talking about how you had a walking stick. Talk me through what got you to the new wheelchair. Well, because I said, like, when I first, you know, before I got diagnosed, my mom had given me a cane and I was walking just with a regular, you know, like what you would see with the elderly cane. And um, and then, the, you know, eventually I moved into forearm crutches and it started out with just one forearm crutch. But then, you know, as it started getting worse, I ended up with two. And then, um, well, I started having back problems. So just recently we switched to uh, smart crutches and my back is feeling better. But uh, through the, all that time, um, after a while, I did. My grandpa had got me a mobility scooter when I was having so much trouble walking, and then the mobility scooter was fine and it's been helpful all this time. But I had reached a point where it was just so heavy that I couldn't always get it out of the car without help, and some days I would just give up. And I was like, "Well, if I'm going to move into a new home by myself again, I need something much lighter that I can just pop out." Right. And then you can take now. Now you mentioned smart crutches because I've been seeing a bunch of posts about different crutches and stuff. And and I just went to medical crutches and then just had a little cane. But what are these smart crutches? Well, the smart crutches, um, they basically like unlike forearm crutches where, you know, I said the handle is like down, you know, like a little bit. You actually have to lean down to grab onto the handle and it faces downward and out where this one, it basically makes it, because the problem with a lot of mobility aids is you're bending over and like you're curving your back and that can cause you to develop a permanent curve in your back and that can be very painful. While these smart crutches, they're similar because they have the arm thing to hold your arm in, but the um, handle faces upward and it's all on the top. So you're standing up straight rather than leaning over. Okay. So I, because I was wondering, because individuals were asking what the difference was, and I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to answer because I had no idea if you had a preference. Uh, because I mean, are there days that you don't need your wheelchair and just the crutches work? Um, it really sick. It really depends on what we're doing because uh, for the most part, I can move short distances, but like I said only short distances. Basically, I wouldn't do anything with a long distance with at least not, you know, I would have to have my wheelchair with me, even if somebody else is driving it for me. So, you know, because there are some times where I say, Mom, I'd like to get up and walk. So she'll drive my wheelchair so I can walk for a little bit. And do you prefer the smart crutches over the walking stick? You know, it's a catch-22 because I know the, the smart crutches are good, you know, because of the fact that I was having back problems. Um, but they do have their drawbacks. They're really big and bulky and they don't lean against anything as well as uh, my forearm crutches did. So it's a lot harder, like when you go out to eat, to try to position them somewhere or to position them on the wall, you know, and then when I'm trying to get them out of the car because they're so big and bulky, it's hard to get them out of the car without accidentally smacking myself in the face. That, that would, yeah, definitely be a problem. Now the, wheelchair that you have now the electric scooter uh 
you did tell me it's it's it because it, it, it looks so dainty it looks like it was made for you it it's not as big as like the like the scooters that you would get at target but yeah no it, it's not like i said like in my mobility scooter wasn't nearly like nearly as big and bulky as the one the ones at target and walmart and all that they're definitely different from what i had they're kind of similar in a way but obviously like there's you know faster speeds with the mobility scooters and things like that and they come apart into different pieces um but my new wheelchair has um lighter pieces i'm not going to say they're not heavy at all but they're lighter than the scooter was gotcha and it's and it's giving you your life back because you're getting to do things that you couldn't do before yep excellent so what what is your your what what are your goals now now you 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 got out of the job that you couldn't do because of the physicality of it now you've got your 9 to 5 desk job and what is your focus now? What what are the goals for Kara? What are you planning in life? Well, my current goals right now um, are to move back into either a new home or apartment because um, I was living on my own before, but I got married and unfortunately it was an abusive marriage. So um, that ended pretty quickly and I'm living with my parents in the meantime and I'm looking for a new job with higher pay and benefits so I can get health insurance. And once I get that, I should be able to find a new home. And so I'll move back out with my dog and uh, like I said, just continue working and providing for myself. And then hopefully this summer, I got invited to a camp for adults with uh, disabilities. So I'd like to attend that in June, but we'll have to see. Wow. You've been through an abusive marriage, this illness and everything, and you have such an incredible attitude. What, what is, I mean, what is your secret? Uh, Christ, my relationship with Christ. That's what keeps me going. That's, that's beautiful. Did you have, did you have this before your illness or is it, is this illness what brought you closer? I mean, no, I've, I, I became a Christian when I was about four years old. And so I said, I grew up in church and I said, like, you know, my faith makes anything I go through easier because I can't imagine how people go through hard times, you know, without hope for the future, because that's what in the joy that he gives me. I, I think that's beautiful. And I mean, each person has, you know, as we've said, each person has their own way, their ways of coping. Some people believe in Christ, some people don't. And you just have to you know, go through and do what works for you. And I think it's absolutely wonderful that you have found the, I'll call it the medication that works for you, the treatment plan that you have created. And that's, that's what I like to think of when I think of AWOL Zebra is that you are forging ahead, creating your own path, making sure that you aren't being railroaded by doctors. You're not letting them dictate what's going to happen. I mean, just because the doctor told you, oh, this is what's going to happen. You didn't just curl up into a ball. You kept going. And that's very admirable. And I think that's wonderful. Um, as far as other things that you do, you're working. There is no medication to take for this. Uh, we did talk uh, in our practice. I'll call it, like I said, our practice interview about physical therapy that is something that you are thinking about trying to do 
Yeah, once I get health insurance, you know, I'll definitely discuss it with my primary care doctor and see if he thinks it's something worth trying. But obviously, the difficulty would be trying to find one who specializes in our condition. And obviously, that's not an easy feat either. No, it, it's not. That's, um, that's why I, the last person I went to uh, caused my neck to uh, just, I, I had a vertebrae uh, sublux in my rib. And so that's what made me decide to look into becoming a personal trainer. So, and with, with corrective movement specialties, so I will never be hurt by somebody again. That's my biggest thing. And it kind of sounds like, you know, that's what you're doing. You're educating yourself to make sure yeah. that, that you can do it because you just, you, you just can't go to any old physical therapist exactly you know go over there and give me 10 no it's not going to happen so i i think that's wonderful that that you're doing that so as far as physical therapy that might be something i mean i've done it it didn't work out for me in the past but i hear pros and cons is that maybe just like you said the next step that you want to look into doing that is there anything else that that you have seen that that you are wanting to try that's not maybe not the mainstream um not that i know of at this point i said like if they come out you know like with some you know other therapy or you know maybe i'll try physiotherapy or something but you know unless they come up with something new or something uh you know that's all we have for now well i i was bringing that up because you mentioned in our practice that a prolotherapy and that's, I never heard of that. Mm-hmm. And explain to us what that is, even though we already talked about it, but tell us about yeah. the prolotherapy. Yeah. So prolotherapy is some kind of like injection that they give you. And what will happen is first is it'll like cause inflammation in the joint. But then after the inflammation goes down, it actually creates new tissue that's not affected by our condition. Okay. I, I I just, I find that fascinating because I had never heard of that and it seems to make so much sense, but that's the purpose in me doing these interviews is to find out new things, to offer individuals ways to um, maybe better manage their condition and then to learn about this because of course, as soon as we're done, I'm going to look this up (laughs) because I want to know exactly what this prolotherapy is and I, I appreciate you taking the time with us again to to share your story. Is there anything you would like to say in closing? Well, I said people can follow me at Zebra Warrior Kara's Journey on Facebook. And I just encourage people to start speaking up about their disability and what they're experiencing because I know a lot of people, they don't want to talk about it. They just want to go on with their daily life and that's fine. But it's just human nature. People are going to be curious. People are going to, you know, look and wonder why things are different. And they won't learn unless we educate. Nicely said. And I tell you what, I am going to, because I didn't know about your, your, the, the site you just shared. So I am going to send you the information. If you would post this interview because you did an incredible job and you helped spread the word. And I know that you're an inspiration for many people and 
I enjoy learning something new. And I look forward to that picture because that picture is going to go when I, when I send out that I've interviewed you, because I think that's going to look awesome. Will you please do that for me? Absolutely. Kara, this has just been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on AWOL Zebra today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kara. We'll talk to her again soon. And thank you, AWOL Zebra. Christy Lynn Hanchi, have a lovely day.